Hello and welcome to the pep talk. Today we're recapping everything Manchester City from this weekend, uh, mostly Fulham, uh, some stuff around the league, Ake Rico extensions, and a bunch of other fun stuff. So, uh, Jason, how you doing today? Yeah, not too bad, man. It's, uh, it's getting cold down in Sydney at the moment, so got my jumper and my, my long pants on, and you know, <laughs> it's getting it's feeling the chill. <laughs> You, Let me you tell doing? you something. I so on Thursday, so in three days, I'm heading to Manchester, and I just looked at the temperature, the weather while I'm there. I, I go to Manchester for three days, and then I go to London for three days. And the entire time, it's going to be raining. So I'm very <laughs> excited to get the real, authentic Manchester experience. <laughs> yeah, look, when I went to Manchester in October. Um, and it basically rained for four out of the five days that I was there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you will get the authentic uh, Manchester experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be there for a very rainy Leeds game, it looks like. Nice, nice. Hopefully we smash them. If not, we know that you're the, you're the jinx. <laughs> yeah, I'll never go to a game again if we don't win. <laughs> Look, when I went, we won, all right? So if you, if you go and we don't win, then we know what the culprit is all right so there you go <laughs> yeah it's weird too because i have generally pretty good luck with um going to my team's games like oh, you've, de- you've definitely a- jinxed it now <laughs> generally i mean uh, trust me i've been to plenty of losses because yeah. like living in lexington kentucky and going to uk basketball games like i used to go all the time i've been there for plenty of losses uh including I was there for a loss that snapped like a four season home winning streak. And oh, I was no. in the first loss. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was horrible. Um, but as a Steelers fan, I've been to when the Steelers play the Bengals because I live in Cincinnati. And when they come in town every year to play the Bengals, I am 3 and 0 so far. So I feel okay. We'll see how it goes. That's also an away game. So. Yeah, well, we yeah. are playing. Uh, we are we are playing at home, so we should uh, yeah. we should do much better because we are we are a much better home team than away from home. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's Leeds. Leeds are kind of a shit show right now. Like they're, I think they have they already fired their coach. I, I know they, they were ta- talking about. <laughs> I think they I don't know if twice. they <laughs> Javi Gracia. I. I know that they were talking about it, but I don't know if they actually did it yet. Maybe. I'm not sure. I can check really quickly. But um, um but there's nothing they, on their website. But to be fair, um you I'm always nervous about playing teams um down at the bottom. It's it is through Harvey Garcia, by the way. Um but yeah, I am always nervous about playing teams in relegation battles. They're they're usually your toughest games um come towards the end of the season. You know, you're, if you're playing teams between like that 13 to 7th where they've got nothing really to play for in the last few games, it's a, it's a bit easy because once you go up, they're not going to fight for anything. But So you know, here's, Leeds here's the other thing. For. Here's the other thing, though. I believe this is true. They have allowed the most goals in the history of the Premier League this year. Nah, that can't be true. Or most goals in like a certain calendar period, they've given up 67 goals 
Okay. It, it can't, well, most it can't, in the Premier it, League. It, yeah, it can't. It can't. It's a, it's most in the Premier League this season, but I don't think it's a record because Bournemouth is like on sixty four. So I can't, I can't imagine it's a record breaker. I'm sure a team's copped more than you know sixty five goals in a season. Or, or it's it's like the most goals within a certain period, period of time. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, they have, they, they have shipped a lot of goals in their last few games. They're like, I think, I'm pretty sure they've lost. So they've lost four one against Bournemouth. They lost six one to Liverpool, five one against the Palace, and that was all in their last five games. So yeah, interesting. So interesting. Oh my gosh! Listen to this from the Athletic. This was 15 minutes ago. Sam Sam Allardyce is in the frame for a dramatic return to management with Leeds United strongly (laughs) considering turning to the former England boss to rescue their season. Oh, no. Well, well, to be... Oh, he he would be... If they bring him in now, he would be ready for our game against him. Big Sam. Are we going to get Big Sam'd? (laughs) Oh, no. Big Sam. The biggest of Sam's. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, that is hilarious! I really, I'm gonna end up eating my words if we fucking draw to them or something. Okay, here it is. Um, the mo- okay, Leeds have now conceded 21 league goals in April, which was the most in a single calendar month by an English top-flight side since Newcastle in April 1986. There you go. So That's it's, what it's, it was. A, I knew it was a yeah. record of some sort. Yeah, which shows how bad their form and defense. They they have literally no defense. Their defense is horrible, absolutely horrible. Um, well, and maybe they, they should bring in Sam Allardyce to help it with the defense. You know? And, yeah, and I've got two two leads. <laughs> I've got two lead fans um, that are friends of mine, and they always complain about Bamford as well. He is a what they describe as a terrorist up front. <laughs> he cannot score for, if his life depended on it. He is terrible. So, um, you know, we used to complain about Gabriel Jesus or Sterling missing chances. Yeah, Bamford misses open goals. <laughs> like, it's that bad. So he, he's, I think he's got one of the worst um, XG to goal ratios um, when it comes to actually scoring for the goal in the net. And that's their, that's their main striker, which he doesn't start as much, as to be fair, because they know he's terrible. But so they've got problems with the front and the back. But yeah, that's that's next week's game. Wait, when you're there, <laughs> I got to can't we, wait. We, we got, we, we'll we'll be doing uh, remote podcasts, I guess. When you're when you're yeah, away. my sound quality is going to be a little off for all the listeners. Don't please don't get mad. But yeah, for probably for the post Leeds match and the first leg of Real Madrid, it'll be a little off. We'll have so, one more. We'll, we should have a pod right, um, right before you leave after the West Ham game. So, that should yeah, be. yeah. So we still got one ahead. All right, let's get into this game. Uh, Fulham. Let's start. What did you think of the lineup? I know. Was there anything that changed from Arsenal? There was Mares for Ma- Bernardo. Mares. There was Julian Alvarez. Alvarez for Kevin De Bruyne. That was it. Was yeah. that kind of what you were expecting? Yeah, I, I, look, the only concern from the lineup was like a a different concern is is how serious is Kevin De Bruyne's injury. Um, he wasn't in training pictures this morning either. So good news on that is Ake is back. So Ake was in training. Um, but I'm starting to get 
concerned at how serious Kevin De Bruyne's injury is. I'm hoping one of the journalists ask him um, pre-match for the pre pre press conference uh, coming up for West Ham um, because all he said last game was oh, he had a bit of niggles, um, but that could be anything, right? It could be a knock, could be muscle, it could be he's overtired. It, it, be a million things, right? But the fact that he hasn't been pictured in training today is not good news to me because I expected him. So if we're gonna rotate, I'd expect us to rotate more for Leeds, not South, not West Ham. So I expect us to go strong against West Ham and then rotate more against Leeds in preparation for the Madrid game, right? When since they're both home games. Um, so that was the only thing that surprised me. But the lineup, um, it was more not seeing Kevin De Bruyne. On the bench at all, so he didn't travel, um, which isn't the best news, I guess. It's just it's more about like how serious is his injury, and I'm hoping he's he's fit and ready to go by by Madrid. And Kevin usually needs a game before playing a game, if that makes sense. Like his first game back usually would come in off an injury or off any niggles. He needs a game to get going, and then the next game he plays a lot better. So I'd, I'd prefer to see him get a game between Leeds and West Ham. Or just, you know, at least 30 minutes or 60 minutes. But otherwise than that, I wasn't surprised. What about you? Yeah, same thing. I'm Honestly, I'm so surprised that Laporte can't get one game. Like, I think that's the biggest thing. Because you could see during the game that Akanji, like there are just some passes he can't make as just as a right footer on that left side like there's just some things you want to have there's a reason pep wants to have a left footer on the left side because there's just like certain passing angles and movements that they can make and the fact that laporte can't even get in as like a rotator that means that he's just got a terrible attitude or something because we obviously know he has the quality to play for city He's played for City for, what, six years now? Like, he's yeah. obviously good enough. And that's telling me that he there's, like, a real attitude problem with him that he can't even get in a game like this to give one of the guys a rest. Like, you have Stones, Diaz, Lapo- like, or Kanji, and Walker. And I know Walker hasn't played much, so he should be fresh, but... All those guys have played almost every game. Like you'd think he would do Laporte for one game, and he still won't do it. So I think I, I think he'll play one of the Leeds or West Ham games. He did play. He did play the Sheffield United game, um, but I think Fulham away. Pep probably looked at it and said, "This is more. I probably need more where he wants it, a defender." Um, and I guess Laporte is basically fifth choice now when it comes to defender. Um, so I, I expect him to come in for either Stones or Diaz or someone on out of those two games. He, he will get game time. I don't, I don't think it's an attitude issue. I think he just knows that he's gone. So why why play a player that you know has, his, has one foot out the door in literally a month and a half? Like, he's gone. Like, there's no there's no way yeah. you don't sell him. Like every, Yeah, he's gone. Every, yeah, every, every little bit of info we have just points to the fact that he is probably going to get sold. Like, there's no other way around it. You know what I mean? Like, he has to stick somewhere. Um, he's, he'll have, I think, two years left on his deal or, or one year left on his deal. I think I think it's two. two I think years, it's but, two, yeah. 
Yeah, but it's it's <laughs> he's definitely he's definitely gonna get sold. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, yeah, other than that, I wasn't you know super surprised. Honestly, the, it kind of picks itself with Ake and De Bruyne out. Basically, um, yeah. And Foden still just trying to get back to it. It looks like so. Yeah, I mean it, it, the eleven picks itself, and yeah. so. Uh, let's start in the first half. Basically, the first two minutes of the game was that a penalty? One hundred percent nailed on. Basically, um, so Alvarez steps around him, um, foot comes out, takes out both legs, and about knee high as well. <laughs> so it's it's a stonewall penalty as you get. The interesting question would be: is if the ref didn't give it on the field, would have VAR intervened to give the penalty? That's where I'm always like. Is that shit be a rep sub? They probably wouldn't have given it. But, but yeah, it's a stonewall penalty to me. Like, they, you can't argue it. He basically took out his legs, um, stopped him from taking a clear shot or doing any dribbling or doing anything. So, for me, 100% penalty. Yeah, it's got to be a penalty. I mean, the ref, you saw it too. The ref immediately blew his whistle and he had a perfect view of it. Like, that. Yeah. yeah. That, that was as nailed on a penalty as anything. Um, it was nice to start off, and then obviously Holland takes the penalty, buries it, perfect penalty kick. So Holland is now on 34 goals, which ties the Premier League record. It beats the record for a player in the Premier League for an entire season, but ties the Premier League record, um, which was both tied by Alan Shearer and Andy Cole, who both played 42 games when they got that. Holland has now done it in what thirty games, so yeah, thirty games. That's twenty nine. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's incredible. So he, he, he's the first player since nineteen thirty one to have fifty goals in all competitions. So it was a hundred years. That's how good this player is. Like uh, <laughs> I know we we bring up we have a little Holland five to ten minute section every every week, but. You kind of have to you, like it's it's un it's unseen. It, we've never the Premier League English football hasn't seen a player this good um, in the Premier League. And credit to um, Gary Neville, who I was listening to their podcast. He was saying we don't usually get these players, these bona fide superstars that come to the league already as a superstar. We usually develop them and then they go to Madrid or Barcelona. Haaland is one of the first players to come to the Premier League as a bona fide star and he's playing for Manchester City. So, you know, and he's doing he's doing all this madness. Like, what else can you ask for? So, in the modern era, I have seen, or I, I heard that basically there's only a small handful of players who have gotten 50 goals in a season. Obviously, Messi and Ronaldo did it basically every year because they were, you know, <laughs> freaks. But other than that, and Ronaldo didn't even get that many at United. Like, that was Ronaldo in his prime at Real Madrid, and then Messi is obviously Messi. And then I've seen Lewandowski's done it. Um, Luis Suarez did it, I believe, one year at Barcelona, or maybe at Ajax, one of the two. Um, I think he did at Barcelona. It, yeah, and that's that's really it. Like, that's that's the list. And so... I think what we're seeing is Holland is going to be in that category. Like it's 
I think it's going to be like the only people that are going to reach those heights in world football in the next however many years. How depends on how long I mean, Messi's basically done. Um, Ronaldo's basically done. Lewandowski's basically done. Suarez, I'm pretty sure, is done, or he's playing in like Uruguay or something. So I think the only other person we might see come close to the 50 goals a season mark every year will be Holland and Mbappe, at least for the near future. Unless Harry Kane decides to go like Bayern Munich or something, and then he'll probably shatter some records. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, that's really what it is. So that's what we're seeing is we're seeing like generational goals and yep. It's going to be, it looks like it's going to be like the Holland and Mbappe show when it comes to like these types of records and these heights is that's what we're going to see for the foreseeable future in terms of like this types, this type of stuff. And then also like when you look at it, this 34 goals, longstanding record, when was it set 25, 30 years ago by Alan Shearer and Andy Cole? So I mean, really, who do you see even coming close to Holland to break Holland's record other than Erling Holland? Like, I think that's the only person in the realistic future that would probably break his own record. But it will probably take another 20, 30, 40, 50 years for somebody to break these records. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. It, look, like I said, we, we haven't seen someone score 50 goals in English Premier League history. Or sorry, English football history since the 1930s in all competitions. So that goes to show what he's doing and how how um, unreal or magnificent what he is doing. So yeah, look. Yeah, and that's also barring like any type of change to the format. Like if they go to back to a 42 game season, or if they make the goals bigger, who knows? <laughs> who knows what kind of changes there could be? But that's barring any of that. With that. I don't, I don't goals see out, it happening. Goals outside the box canning for two. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. If, if liver, I, I'm not even going to get into that. We're not getting into that. This is a happy podcast. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, um, to be honest, so, out of the, out of the penalty. So the, the biggest thing that I was happy about was Harlan and Mares were both on the field together and Harlan took it. So that's where I was like, good. Because, if Mares took the penalty away from Haaland in, in a nil-all game, in a Premier League game, where the title race is on the line, three minutes in, I would have been pissed. Because I know people like Mares and whatnot, but it's all about statistics. Mares is a 74% converter. Haaland is a 92% converter. You give it to Haaland. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think, like, Mares takes penalties when they're not as important. Like, he's not taking penalties when the game's on the line. So, and we all know that. Pep knows that. Holland knows that. Mares knows that. So, it is what it is. Like, I, in a 0-0 game, when it really matters like this, Holland's taking the penalty. I will believe it when I see it. When I see Mares taking the ball away from Holland to kick a meaningful penalty. Like he, if did, it's, he, did, he did take the first penalty against Sheffield, which was a 43-minute penalty. Yeah, but it's the FA Cup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's a lot less meaningful than yeah. uh, this Premier League game. 
And and I think Pep kind of knew, like, listen, even if he misses this penalty, probably going to go on to win this game. This is like the Premier League is just it's different. This was less pressure pressure in that game. Yeah. And this is just like a much more important moment. And so Holland's going to take it. And I listen, I may be wrong. It may be, you know, final game of the season and City need to win and Mara steps up to take a penalty over Holland. I just won't believe it until I see it. So yeah, I, agree. I, I expected Holland to take it, honestly. So how did you feel after the first goal? Did you think this was good? Because, you know, we scored in the first three minutes of the game. Do you think it was just going to be like another one where we jump on them 3-0 and kind of cruise? Um, I did at first, um, especially how the chances were coming. So we could have been up 3-0 at halftime. Um, Harlan had a few good passes to Grealish. I feel like Grealish should have scored. Um, but credit to, to Leno, man. Leno is a very, very good shot stopper. Um, he's, I think he's got the second highest um, saving percentage or saving, not saving percentage, I should say, um, like XG allowed uh, when it comes to like good chances and how good he is at saving chances. Um, and I, you can see from the second half when Harlan had that very, very good chance where he had a very um, low driven shot and Bernard just literally jumped down with his hand. Um, and save the sh- save the goal essentially, you know those those are very big saves in a game like this. Um, and look, Fulham Fulham away is not an easy place to go. It's a small pitch. Um, even Pep said it the the grass was long, <laughs> and said so the passes. We're not, not going to talk about that. I feel like we're sounding like Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> well, Pep said it. I, I can't say anything. Um, but the the big thing for me was Fulham away is always going to be a difficult game. It's never a gimme. And every away game that we've had this season, I don't think we've gone to an away game and not had a bit of difficulty. Um, and that's just the nature of the Premier League, right? Um, even in this in this fantastic form that we're in, we, have, we haven't... We'll talk a bit, a, a bit about it a bit later, um, how our away form is and how important the, the rest of the Premier League games are. Um, but yeah, so I feel, like, I feel like we should have killed the game in that first half. But the fact that we didn't, meant that the game potentially could open up. Um, and you could see it. We, we had a lot of issues um, with um, balls at the top this game. I don't know what, what, why or what was happening in our defense, but it felt a bit panicked in, in terms of or, or nervy um, when it came to defending long balls, and, which is strange. Like we went from defending long balls and defending with, our, you know, with so much strength against Bayern Munich and Arsenal and Liverpool but then we come to Fulham away and we're, we're struggling to defend properly. Um, you know, there was a few long balls that, you know, just basically baffled our defense a little bit. I don't know if it's a combination of having Walker instead of a, another center back there um, where Stones is playing in the back rather than a Kanji and has a bit less um, defensive stability. Um, because, yeah, we, we kind of got killed on a, on a bit of um, long balls. And that's how their first goal came, came from a long ball over the top um, where we didn't deal with it properly and then, they're they're in for goal. Yeah, the first goal that they had was pretty poor defending. I think from both from defending the long ball, but also Ruben Diaz, like, I know he hit a really good strike, but you gotta, like, he didn't close him down well enough and let him get that away. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of poor defending. Yeah, it was just very scrambled. It was very scrambled defense. We, we We weren't, I don't think we were crisp in this game, you know, and halfway through the game, if 
you're asking how I felt, I'd say it was more of get the three points and get the fuck out. Like that, that was basically my attitude. Um, yeah, I thought too. Like the the buildup was sloppy. It was sloppier than it was before because we like in in the last game against Arsenal, it was basically like a four two four buildup. So we had six in the buildup when normally we have five. Normally it's that three two yeah. uh, where Stone steps into midfield against Arsenal. It wasn't Stone stayed at center back and you had Gundogan dropping down to have a six man build up in midfield and or uh, six man build up total. And in this one, we kind of went back to the three, two where stone stepped into midfield and just seemed like something was off. Like Fulham are pretty organized. I will say that like they're Fulham is a good team. They're not a terrible team. It's not like Southampton or they're not fighting relegation. Like they're a top half, I believe top half team right now. So, like, they're an organized team. Yeah, they were prior to um, losing Mitrovic. They were, I think, ninth or eighth prior to losing Mitrovic. Yeah. They went on a a run of bad form, and then they started improving. They got used to playing without Mitrovic, and then their form came back when they realized how to play without him. But that's natural. Yeah, like, they're the best player. They're a good team. And so... It's not really so, like they're organized, they're good, and they're not going to just park the bus. Like they're going to come at you. And for some reason, our buildup, it just wasn't on today. I think um, Kevin De Bruyne being out hurt that a little bit because Alvarez is really good. I, I love Alvarez, but he just he has different qualities than De Bruyne. And we needed De Bruyne to kind of like get that incisive pass through the midfield and just drive for and you know, in the quote unquote artificial transitions, like we needed that. And Alvarez can do a decent job with it, but he's not, I mean, nobody's Kevin De Bruyne. So I think he was really missed in this game of just being able to like kind of get it through that first wave of pressure that Fulham would give. And next thing you know, it's like him and Holland and Grealish and Mares just off to the races against Fulham's back line. And we didn't really see that. So, yeah. It, do, 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 you th- do you Sorry, do you think playing Walker um, in a game like this doesn't work? So what I mean by this is, so I know, I like I remember watching it when I was watching the game, I feel like Walker did a lot of um, misplaced passes and they were giving him a lot of space to to make passes. But he, oh, he's not the best ball-playing uh, play in our team. Right? He's probably he's probably one of the worst, I'd say, when it comes to actually ball playing, um, which is why he can't do that defensive mid, midfield role um, when he comes in. Uh, that, that, that Stones or Rico Lewis do. Um, and what I mean by this is, so in a game against Arsenal or a game against Bayern Munich, or, or probably I think Walker, for example, will start against Madrid just to stop Vinicius. But in games like that, where he has one objective, and the objective is to make sure that those players do do anything, he's fantastic at it. But in games like this, where the threat on the wings is not as much and you need Walker to be that extra man to break down a defense or break down a press, he's not the best. And I feel like when we play again like this, he kind of hurts us. So when you have when you when we do play the stones um, as a right back that comes inverted, and we have a Kanji, Ake, and Diaz at the back, 
I feel like our build-up is a lot better against teams like this. Even though it, even though it kind of works against teams like Bayern, etc. But when you do have Walker in the team, I feel like he works. He's more effective against teams that we know are going to threaten us because he only has one job to do, and that job is to stop that player scoring or doing anything. And he can focus solely on that, and he's going to be doing that for most of the game. Yes and no. I think like Walker is still good on the ball. It's it's all relative, right? Like Walker is good on the ball, but relative to City's players, he's one of the worst on the ball. But he's still better than like you know Aaron Wan Bissaka or pick him uh, right not, back. Not, you know yeah, what I'm I mean? Gonna, I'm not going to so, compare him to Aaron Wan Bissaka. <laughs> so, but what I'm what I'm saying is like. I don't think he necessarily hurts City. It's just that he's a limited player. And I think he also does a couple things. Like, he did make a lot of overlapping and underlapping runs. And he can do that better than anybody else that's there at right back. So, like, he does add something to the attack. So, I don't I don't think that was really the problem. Because, like, you know, Akanji... And, I think Diaz struggled playing out from the back in this game. Like he's normally very good. This one, he just, he, he seemed pretty, I don't know, hesitant or Fulham did a pretty good job of like trying to cut off his passing lanes as well. It was a lot of switches and Walker's really good with the switches. That's one thing. Like when he switches from right to left, like he puts it right on the winger every time. And there were a lot of switches in this game. So I don't know. I don't think that Walker necessarily hurts City in build up because I think he's fine. Um, I just think it was more like the way Fulham pressed, um, this kind of the sloppiness in general. Like, like Kanji didn't have his best game playing out. I thought Rodri and Stones did fine, but overall it was it was just kind of disjointed getting it to the front and. Yeah. Having maybe, De Bruyne there, like I said, just it just kind of hurt. Yeah, maybe the small field as well doesn't help. Um, you know, playing a, yeah. away and a smaller field, so it kind of hurts our style of play. Yeah, and like I said, like a longer grass. I'm not going to make that excuse. Okay, I'm not going to be Jurgen Klopp saying like that's the reason things happen or anything. But I'm sure it affects the players. Like remember Pep's the one when? Pep's the one remember said it. when? Remember when we played Spurs at Wembley and it was the day after an NFL game and that field was torn to shreds. It was obvious watching that game, how the field affects the play. Like that ball is just bouncing around everywhere. And so like, (laughs) sorry, was that the last away game we beat Spurs? (laughs) Yeah, it was because it was like, a week or two before Tottenham Hotspur Stadium opened. And so we had to play them at Wembley because they already knocked down White Hart Lane. And yeah, that was that was just a mess because we were supposed to play them at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but it wasn't ready yet. So we had to play them at Wembley. And yeah, that that was a mess too. It was like Mara scored an early goal from a long ball and that was it. It was 1-0. Yeah, I remember just that. because nobody could get a foothold in the game because the field was just so messed up. So, you know, there is something to having longer grass, I'm sure, but that's not really an excuse for any team to win or lose. It's just it can probably affect some parts of the game. So, yeah, yeah there's okay. that. That was 
you know, after the Vinicius goal, I still thought like, okay, we're we're gonna go pull some back. And then in the thirty fourth minute, Alvarez. I mean, what a goal. Am yeah. I right? Ah, dude, this guy has uh, it's safe to say that he's got long range bangers in his in his locker. Like he just Yeah. He's got that Kevin De Bruyne he, uh, a slash. He reminds me a lot to be he reminds me a lot of Suarez. Really? He, yeah, he reminds me a bit a bit of, like he gives me Luis Suarez vibes more than Aguero in terms of like pressing, in terms of um speed, in terms of long range shots. Those, those were classic Suarez things that he used to do. Um, at Liverpool and at Barcelona, um, and he's only he's only twenty two, so he's got room, loads of room to improve. Suarez didn't show his potential properly until he was at 23, 24, I'd say. Um, so for Alvarez to be doing this already um, is crazy. And 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 look, scoring goals like that is is a natural thing. You don't teach. That, you know what I mean? You either have it or you don't. It's rare to see players develop long range shots later on in their career. You, like. Like I said, you either have it or you don't, and Alvarez has it. That's really, really impressive. So everything else that he'll improve on will come. But, yeah, what a goal. He didn't even look at the keeper. He just he was looking down and just bang. <laughs> like, keep, like, you look at everyone's reaction on that goal, and everyone was just like, what? What just happened? <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. So it's really weird because I, like, I honestly, I don't see Suarez as much. I see Carlos Tevez. Yeah, Tevez that's is a good chat as well. That, that's what I see more of. Because, like, he is this kind of, like, mixture between a nine and a midfielder. I'm not going to call him a false nine. I think that term's used way too often. He, I think but, he's more of a second striker. Is that, well, that's probably the better, yeah. better word you're looking for. Yeah, kind of. But he's, like, way better with the ball than a second striker. Like... He's, yeah, I think he's good with, he's very good with the ball to where, I mean, he basically plays the same position as Kevin De Bruyne when, when they play in this way. He's, yeah. so he, he, but that shot was incredible. And that's what I love about Alvarez is he's like, he'll shoot from anywhere. He does not care. I think even more so than Holland. Like, Holland is really good at creating a good chance. And like getting into the right spaces to create good chances, and he finishes them perfectly. Alvarez will score from terrible angles. You know what I mean? I, I feel like Holland, like Holland, is just so good at getting into good angles, and he's so good at finishing them. And even if Holland's not at a good angle, like he'll get a good shot off. Holland's more of the Al- box scorer. Yeah, and in, Alvarez yard box. Yeah, Alvarez is more of. Like he'll just pull up from anywhere. He's kind of like, like Steph Curry, where you look at it and you think for anyone else that's probably a bad shot, but for Alvarez it's a good shot, and that's how it is. Like when he's in the box, you don't know when he's going to pull the trigger. You know he'll be like dribbling around and people are trying to follow him, and at any time he could pull it with his left or right foot, and it would go in the goal. Like he's just got. A different demand. He's similar to Aguero in that way. It always seemed like Aguero just like he just shot it sometimes. Like he was yeah. never always waiting for like the perfect angle or anything like that. He just just put it on net and see what happens. And that's one thing I noticed 
when I would watch him at River Plate is like, at the very least, put it on the goal and see what happens. And he was accurate enough to where it went in a decent amount. And honestly, when I saw this one, I thought it got deflected at first. Like until I saw the replay, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that probably deflected off someone and went into the corner of the goal. And then I watched it back. I was like, nope, nope, that did not get deflected by anyone. <laughs> that was just a beautiful shot. Yeah, look, I think it had a, had a 0. 0.4, 0.04 XG. <laughs> so that tells you everything about that goal. Um, but yeah, look, I, look, he, I think this the crazy part about Alvarez, and, and Pep said this, he's like, I need to figure out a way to play KDB, Alvarez, and Haaland at the same time. Um, I don't think he'll do it this season. I think it'll be more next season. But he's that good. You need to start him. He needs to, he needs to start more games than he did this season, I think, next season. So I, I feel like next season we'll see a lot more Alvarez and Haaland starting together. Um, just for the fact that how good he is. He's, and and if you look around the Premier League right, right now, you know, he could probably start for, I'd say, 19 out of 20 teams or 18 out of 20 teams. Right? So... He doesn't get into City starting lineup because of Kevin De Bruyne and Haaland, but outside of Spurs, I don't see any other team that will start him. He'd start of Jesus right now in Arsenal's team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I the, and the fact that we got this guy for fourteen million and he's twenty two and he's this good already, crazy, absolute, absolutely brilliant business in in last summer. We went literally from we swapped out Jesus and Sterling. And we got Haaland and Alvarez in for less transfer money. And we've improved significantly. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting with Alvarez because he is, like you said, he has been so good that he's like forcing Pep to play him. That's essentially what's happening is like Pep is having a really hard time not playing him. Because he's so good. And that's why he said that. Like, I need to figure out how to get Kevin and Julian and Holland in there. Because those three are so good that he's, like, Pep is thinking, I have to figure out a way to play these three guys together. Because, like, it just it's just terrible that you can't, or that it's it's terrible that one of them has to be dropped right now. And I think Pep's got all summer to think about it. He... I'm sure he will figure out a way. And that's kind of the other thing is like, you know, there's always there. We've seen this year that the, the sh- quote unquote struggle between, you know, slowing the game down and speeding it up and, and whatever. I think we're going to go faster next year. Like I, because we have, and it's sort of like an inverted, um, like an inverted way of playing from like the Serling Sané era where we had, fast wingers who were more direct and and were the more dynamic guys. And then you had like Bernardo Silva and Gundogan and David Silva. I know Kevin De Bruyne was there, but like those types of midfielders where the midfield kind of controlled things and the wingers were the, the more direct, like dynamic players. I think it's turning kind of into the opposite where you have the wingers who are really good at controlling the ball. And they're also dynamic in their own right. Like, you know, Mares and in Grealish are very good at controlling the ball and they're good at going forward. So, but it's more of that. And then you have the midfielders who are dynamic. Like 
you have the dynamism coming through the middle and you play to build up through the wide areas. And so I think it's, it's really interesting to see. And I'm excited to see what comes for next year. Cause then you potentially add Jude Bellingham into that mix as well. So yeah, if we look, if we know anything about Pep, he will change the play style slightly next year. He never, I don't think he ever goes into a season playing the same play styles. He always tinkers and he, and I think this is what makes him one of the best managers of all time is he will always tinker to his lineup and to his players. He's not as rigid. He'll say, I'm going to stick to my play style regardless of the players I have. And I feel like something like, you know, we were talking about this last week with Arteta. He's very rigid when it comes to his play style. He's, he'll, you know, plays the same play style with Rob Holding instead of Saliba and that doesn't work. You need to change your play style a little bit. Same thing with Klopp. Klopp does the same thing. He doesn't change his play style. It took, it took him to about eight games remaining to move Trent's position. Um, and now they're playing a lot a lot better. So it's similar to that where I feel like Pep... And not only that, Pep likes to change it up simply for the fact that it makes it harder for teams to figure us out. Um, and, you know, I said this on the last pod. We are probably the most dynamic we've ever, ever been. We can change it up so quickly in games now. We we can go so many different ways in games. Um, and I feel like this is the most dynamic personnel we've had or or Swiss Army type knife players we've had on the field at once where we can literally go at you in so many different ways. Um which is which is why this game was a little bit disappointing. I feel like we didn't we didn't impose ourselves like we usually do or how we have usually done in this form. Um but I, I guess that it, it comes down to a few few things, you know, tiredness and um, a little bit of rotation, um, you know, a little bit of away away game, Premier League, tired legs, etc. So for me, like I said earlier on the pod, get the three points and get out. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Like I was hoping for another goal just because it was kind of getting testy, and so I thought let's let's get one more just to give us a cushion. But in the end, like. I'm just never going to complain about a win this late in the season. When a win is needed, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, I do see like an evolved play style. Like, and he, like you said, he's constantly evolving. I don't see Arteta as dogmatic. Like, to be fair to Arteta, like, what play style is good with Rob Holding? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he, you can only do so much. So. <laughs> Like to be fair to him, like that's you. You can only do so much with him, but especially with Jurgen Klopp or with like with other men, like for example, like Maurizio Sarri is a big one. Like he's very dogmatic in the four three three and and that kind of stuff. Like Pep is the exact opposite of dogmatic. He's constantly changed and he's constantly through his career like. Barcelona played very differently than Bayern Munich and then they played very differently than City and then you've seen how City have evolved over the years so I mean that's that's a testament to Pat that he's evolved and the principles are always the same like it's not like he's completely changed it's not like we're going to go to like a 4-4-2 Sam Allardyce park the bus like next week there's principles that are still there but the team is constantly evolving. And I think that says a lot about like the players that City go for and the players that he looks for because 
they're always a different profile than the guy that was there before him. Like, you know, Jack Grealish had a very different profile than Leroy Sané. And, you know, Riyad Mahrez had a very different profile than Raheem Sterling, etc. So it's the constant evolution, and it's like Pep is always looking ahead to what he wants to do with the team and how he wants to evolve the play style. And you see that in the transfer dealings. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, so, yeah, just, just going on to the second half, how, how were you feeling that second half? I feel like, like we said, it, it was sloppy um, and he got a bit nervy towards the end. And then the eight minutes added on just made it even worse. Um, but I don't I don't feel like we are ever in control in that last 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Um, like you said, we did need that third goal, but... We stopped creating as much. I, I feel we stopped. We stopped getting into the box as as easily, and Fulham Fulham were putting us for for that for that for that equalizer. Yeah, I mean, like there was that one where they ran through, and then I know they were pretty pissed off that Kyle Walker didn't get called for a penalty, but that was not a penalty. Nah, that wasn't. Um, but like overall, I thought. You know, it got testy, but I don't think that was like City stole a win or anything like that. I, I thought it was fairly like fairly comfortable in the I mean it fairly comfortable, but like in the end, City deserved to win that game like easily. Like if you look at like even the XG chart, it's like two point three two to zero point four three and even in the second half, like I know most of that came in the first half, but even in the second half, Fulham didn't have as much XG as you would have thought, and City didn't have much either, but it was more than Fulham. So, yeah, it did get testy, and like Fulham had some chances that aren't going to show up on an XG chart because they may have not turned into shots, but I think overall, like Fulham did well, but City were fine to see it out. Um, I will say I really like Anthony Robinson. Like I thought he was really good in this game. I know other people thought he wasn't, but we didn't really see much of Riyad Mahrez today or, you know, in that game. And I thought he was, he did a really good job, like defending the cross field switches. He was always there. Like anytime they tried to, they try to do their thing where, you know, you dribble in and then you get it out to the wide guy and they try to cut in, curl one or something like that. It seemed like three or four times they tried to do that with Mares and he just jumped on it immediately. Yeah, look, I think I think he might be good defensively and he's got a lot of speed, but I don't know if he's technically good enough for City, like on the ball. Um, and I'm kind of liking this no fullbacks <laughs> lineups that we've been doing. You know, sign, sign six setbacks and just call it a day. <laughs> just don't worry about fullbacks anymore. <laughs> See, I, I don't think that's the case, and I don't think Pep thinks that's the case. I think Pep is working with what he has and making them play to the best of that ability, but I don't think that he wants no fullbacks. It's kind of like what people have been saying for the last couple of years, like, oh, does Pep really need a striker? Or does Pep really want a striker? And then look what happens when we get a striker. Like, turns out that Pep was just kind of making the best with what he had, and it looked great, so people thought, well, maybe we don't need a striker. Obviously, 
that's bullshit now. Like, you can see it. You can see Alvarez. You can see Holland. We're better with a striker. Um, and I think he's feeling the same way about fullbacks. We really have one and a half fullbacks on the team. Like, it's Kyle Walker, who is the worst defensive or the worst offensive fullback we had previously. And then Rico Lewis, kind of. You know, he hasn't played much recently, and I don't know if he's going to play at all for the rest of the year. And he has a bright future ahead of him, but that's essentially it. So I think this is more of just Pep playing with what he has, but I don't think it's just going to be like, all right, go back to no fullbacks. No, I don't think that's... And I like... I think Robinson is good enough technically to play for City. I think that... He is as good, if not better, technically than Kyle Walker when he came to City. Now, I think Kyle Walker was, you know, obviously he was higher touted because he played for Spurs, and at that time, Pochettino Spurs were really good. Um, I but disagree I think <laughs> Kyle Walker was um, young player of the year, I think three years straight or two years straight. Kyle he, Walker? He, really? Yeah, yeah, man. He was brilliant. He was was really, but like, he wasn't known for his technical ability, though. He was known for being insanely fast and powerful and bombing up the sidelines. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what Robinson does. Like, they have a very similar skill set. I think Robinson's the really like Walker is probably a little better on the ball right now than Robinson is. But Robinson's also a better crosser of the ball. So you have that. Like, Robinson can overlap and put it in a nice cross. Whereas Walker, like, unless it's a low-driven cross, he like, Walker's not lofting a cross and picking out somebody. Whereas Robinson can do that. I, I see a lot of Kyle Walker and Anthony Robinson in the way they play. Like, just fast, powerful, um, not technically the best, but good enough. And I hope that... I, Obviously, don't know if City would go for him or not, but I like him a lot, and I think he played really well in this game. Yeah, so Robinson is twenty five years old, so I, I'm not sure. It, it all depends if City, what City want to do with that left back spot um, going forward. You know, if they, if they do go for Gavardio, um, I can see Gavardio and Ake just locking down that left sided slot. Um, into into next season, and then maybe the season after they go back for a traditional fullback. Who knows? It's it's, a, it's an interesting summer because we've changed our playstyle a little bit. Um, so it all depends if we want to continue with this playstyle. If Pep wants to go back to his tr- traditional way of playing um, with you know fullbacks, but look, it's working right now, so <laughs> I can't complain. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of the other thing too. Is it's going to depend on what Pep wants in a fullback. So. Like, if he wants somebody who can invert and play next to Rodri, Anthony Robinson is not the player. Like, he's not that kind of guy. If he wants a fullback who can play a little more high and wide, it's very possible. Because, like, if you think about it, if if City build up in a 3-2 the way they've been doing this year, you can have a fullback playing high and wide. Like, that's what Walker has done. And Robinson would thrive in that type of role. So, it... I think what fullback City sign will tell 
us a lot about how they want to build up and play next year because like there's certain players that can't invert and and I think Pep and and the staff will already know that but like if he goes for somebody like Robinson it wouldn't surprise me honestly because I know people say like oh well City never play with high and wide fullbacks like no they do sometimes and it's because they don't really have the type of fullback to play high and wide like that's going to bomb in crosses. And when they did, Benjamin Mendy, guess what he did? He always played hide and wide and he bombed in crosses. So Yeah. I, it, I like, feel like yeah. I feel like our play style has changed so much since then. Um you know, where we where we have a different way of playing with like you know, with fullbacks, etc. But yeah, like you said, it, it will tell us a lot on how we're going to go into next season. I, th- I feel like Pep now looks for players that are Swiss Army types, so they can fit multiple roles. I feel like one-dimensional players that can only play a single role are not going to... I don't think that's the profile player that we're going to go for anymore. You know, I, th- I feel like if we're signing a player now, you've you got to be able to play, you know, more than one position. Well, I think that's one thing that Robinson could do is he could play, like, if we build up in a 3-2, he can play the left side of the three. And, and hold his own. Like, I think he's good enough on the ball, and I think he's good enough defensively to hold that spot. Because, again, when we switch into defense, it goes back to a four-man defense. So then he's playing left back. And yeah. then he can also play that high and wide role. So essentially what Walker does now, he can do that. I don't know. It's going to depend on, like I said, what Pep wants. Because also, I think he was asked not too long ago, like, why don't you play high and wide fullbacks and Pep said, well, that would be nice, but I just don't have the personnel to do that. So it might be, it might like, I don't know. All I'm saying is I think he would be good at city, but you know, I we're at the point now where we can kind of trust Pep and cheeky to bring in the right guys. And we haven't really heard any fullbacks names being thrown out at least yet. So who knows? Um, but in the end, it, I, you know, didn't really feel super comfortable. Um, it was a little nerve wracking, but it wasn't to the point where like we were just like, oh, my God, this game needs to end now. And we're lucky to get out with a win. I, I didn't see that at all. Yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't like, oh, like Fulham were battering us and it was let's get out of it. It was more of please don't make a mistake where we give up a goal and end up drawing this game. So end the game because of that. Um, you know, and like you look at that Edison 50 50 call or 50 50 chance, I'd say, where like if he misses um, the ball, it's a penalty or, you know, it's an open goal. Um, things like that where you just don't want the chance of happening. Um, and that's kind of why you said just let's just finish the game, end it, get out with the three points. Um, and that's what we did. It's an, it's an away game. Um, and just going back to, to our form in away games this season. We haven't kept a clean sheet in any of our away games um, in this form. The only clean sheet we've kept was against Crystal Palace when we won 1-0. Every other game, we've conceded at least one goal. It's we've been a while conce- since we've kept a clean sheet at all. Yeah, we're not very good at keeping clean sheets this season. Um, but mostly mostly when it's away. It, like like I said, we, we've conceded one goal in every single game in this run of form. So we conceded one goal against Forest, one goal against Leipzig, one goal against Arsenal away. One goal against Bournemouth away, one goal against Southampton away, one goal against Bayern away, and one goal against Fulham away. So we've literally conceded a goal every single time. 
Um, so you kind of have to score two goals to get away with his away games. Um, and, and that's basically what's been happening. Like I said, the only one we haven't is Palace. Um, and it is, a little, it is a little bit concerning. We've still got four away games to come this season. Um, one of them being Madrid. Um, the other being Everton away, which is a... It's going to be a tough game because that's Sean Dyche. Um, and they're fighting for relegation as well, so uh, to stay up. And then the last two games of the season, Brighton and Brentford away. I feel like in this title race, if we want to guarantee the title, we need it to have a. We need to basically go into the Chelsea game, which is the, the third game of the season, with a way to clinch the title. So I'm hoping. I'm hoping Arsenal drop points again against either Newcastle or Chelsea coming up, um, and then we pick up the points against Leeds and West Ham, and that will make this title race a lot more relaxing. And not not only more relaxing, it will give us room to breathe in terms of rotation towards the end of the season to refreshing the legs where we need to refresh them. Um, because the last thing we do, we want is after getting through Madrid, copying a, a, an injury to a key player just before the FA cup final or the, or the, um, or the potentially a Champions League final. Um, so you kind of want to be able to rotate in those last two away games, which will be tough games. They're, they're against Brentford and Brighton, which are two top 10 teams. Um, and they, they've given us, both teams have given us trouble this season. Uh, when we did play them at home, we actually lost to Brentford at home um, in a last-minute winner from Tony. So to me, I kind of want the league to be wrapped up before we go into those two games or where those two games don't matter as much. We can go like we can go in and draw both games and still win the league. That will just take all the pressure off, you know what I mean? So... Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like these next couple games against Leeds and West Ham are really really important because we have the potential to um, expand the lead because the the odds are Arsenal should drop points in the next two games um, between Chelsea. I don't I don't expect them. I expect them to beat Chelsea because they're at home and Chelsea are fucking shit. Um, who haven't scored a goal in five games and have lost five games on the bounce. Cheers, Frank Lampard, um, and. So for me, I feel like the win against Chelsea, but then Newcastle away in the form they're in, is a very massive banana skin for Arsenal. Um, but look, if they win both games, then I feel like this this title race is going to go down to the wire, and every game is going to be a must-win until we get to those two last games, which makes it harder for us. It doesn't let us rotate as comfortably as we'd want to. Yeah, I I would honestly be shocked if. Arsenal come away with six points between Newcastle and Chelsea. And I know Chelsea's shit. I know they're shit. I am the first person to tell you they are shit. Trust me. But <laughs> it's a one-off game. Like, things can happen. You like It could just be that they buckle down defensively and it's a nil-nil. Like, Arsenal does not look good right now. And, like, Chelsea has quality. It's just they don't play well together, but like it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if something happened there. Uh, most likely it won't, but it wouldn't surprise me if it did. And Newcastle, I honestly think Newcastle's favorite, like should be favored in that game. They, they are, they are favorites for the game. Like, yeah, like Newcastle at Newcastle, like at St. James's Park. Yeah, like I would be shocked if Arsenal came out of there with a win. With the way they're playing right now and the way Newcastle is playing right now, I would be shocked. And I think 
if we can get, like you said, these next two wins. Okay, so that puts us at four games to go. If we have what would be potentially like a seven point lead, that I mean that it's basically it, it, over at that point. It's it's a, it's a wrap, yeah. So look, so there's only we've only got eighteen points to play for. Um, we only need fourteen out of the eighteen points. Like I said, if we win the next two games, you go down to needing only um, eight points out of uh, out of twelve. Um, and if Arsenal drop any games more, then you only need six points out of twelve. Which, if this, if you're looking at this City team, they will that's guaranteed almost. So, um, like I said, these next these next two games are really important in terms of how we can rotate. That's that's more my concern. I look, I, I feel like we're at the point now where we should win the league, and rightfully so. I think I think the percentage has gone up to ninety five percent since we beat Fulham. Um, so, you know, anything but the title right now would would shock me. But like I said, you've, we've seen we've seen absolute madnesses in pre seasons where teams have just capitulated for whatever reason, um, and it could happen to us. So I'm not I'm not I'm not counting my chickens yet, but I, I expect us to go out and and finish off this title race the way we should. It's more about how we manage these games. You know, like I said, we've got, I think Madrid's next next Wednesday, so so it's coming very soon. It's all it's all going to be next Tuesday. Well, next Wednesday Tuesday, for yeah. you, next, Wednesday morning for me, Wednesday yes. for you, yeah, yeah. So so literally, we play Leeds, West Ham, and straight away into Madrid away. So huge, huge games coming up for both title race, for both Champions League, for everything. So we've got a month left to play, and this this is this is the, the time to do it. I guess this is the we're in the home stretch. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think that this Fulham match was sort of a missed opportunity to to get some rest in game. Like if we just scored three in the first half and just cruised, um, and would be able to pull off some of the some of the guys and give them a rest, or just you know essentially make the last half hour a practice. Like that's. That's what I wish would have happened in this Fulham game. I, I kind of hoped it would happen after we scored a goal in the first three minutes, but um, I think that's important to do for the next couple of games. And it's uh, like, I know I'm being incredibly picky. Like not only do I want to win, but I want a like city to just kind of put it away in the first half and cruise. But I think that's their mentality going into it as well. Is like just blitz them in the beginning, and let's put it away. And both games are at home, so I think that helps a lot. And I think it's a, there's there's some decent possibilities. Like West Ham doesn't look very good right now. Leeds looks like complete shit, and so it could be very possible where it's like three four nothing in the first half and. And then City go on a cruise, and that's honestly the most ideal thing because these yeah. guys need rest. It's such a thin squad. Like these for me, guys for me, need some rest. For me, Rodri. Yeah, he's played. He's Rodri, played absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah, crazy. Ro- Rodri especially. It wouldn't surprise me if Pep started Gundogan. Like at if he even, rested Rodri for one of these two games, it would even Gundogan looked gold, uh, gone, man. Go- his legs in that Fulham game just looked absolutely finished by the end of the game. He's tired, and he played. He played. He even played the FA Cup game. So, 
It wouldn't surprise me if he did something like like sat Gundogan for this West Ham game, played Bernardo, and then for the Leeds game, sat Rodri. Maybe, yeah. I think I think Bernardo starts against um, West Ham because he he came on in the in the second half uh, with ten minutes to go, fifteen minutes to go against Fulham. So I expect him to start for one of Rodri or Gundogan in this game. He has to. I think Alvarez starts. I think Kevin De Bruyne is not fit for West Ham, so I think Alvarez starts that game as well. Um, so selfishly, I would like to see a full squad against Leeds, just because I'll be there. <laughs> But I doubt hey, that will happen. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, like I said, I, he's always going to rotate two players out or three players out. So for me, like for example, this game coming up against um, against West Ham, I feel I feel like he'll rotate Grealish out. He'll rotate um, one of one of Gundogan or Rodri will rotate out, um, and then you have like Foden, Haaland, Mares starting at the front line, Alvarez sitting behind him in the Kevin De Bruyne role. Um, and then you have um, he'll either it will be one of the three midfielders because Kevin De Bruyne is not fit, um, so it will be Gondohan, Bernardo, or Rodri. Um, I feel like Rodri will start because just, I think Pep relies on him too much. As long as the medical staff tell him, "Yep, good to go," he'll play him. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's, it depends on Bernardo versus Gondohan. I think Bernardo starts no matter what, so it's just about. Gundogan or Rodri out, so one of them, one of them will most likely sit. I think I think it'll be Gundogan. He'll sit, um, and then in the back line, I think he's back. So I'm not sure if he plays this game or if he will start against Leeds. I feel like he, I feel like if he's if he's good to go, he'll rather start him this game and then give him the weekend off. So he's ready Madrid. Um, but it's good to have Aki back. But you know, this whole season, I think we've always had one player out at, at a time. So <laughs> Aki's back, and we lose Kevin De Bruyne. So. When Kevin yeah. Bruyne back. Some, we're gonna lose someone. It's just the, the honestly nature, none, of the nature of the none of us know. None of us know. It's it's just the nature of the beast. You've got eighteen players. You gotta have one of them injured. Um, yeah. Uh, at a time, it's it's very rare to go fully fit into the end end of the season. Um, but look, Madrid have got their own own problems. I think Modric is out um, for the first leg with a hamstring. Modric, injury. no, he apparently may be back this weekend. Oh, like really? He's a per- okay. yeah. So who knows? Who knows he if knows. Modric is out? Either way, like Modric or not, said he should still win. But anyways, um, did you watch Liverpool versus Spurs? I did. Absolute madness of a game. <laughs> Absolute madness. That was just I. I watched like the first fifteen minutes of it. And I was like, oh my god, this is so Spurs. Like <laughs> I, th- I thought they were gonna do another five nil again. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, it, it looked like it was going to be like the United 7-0 or something like that. It yeah. Like, anytime crazy. Liverpool touched the ball, the ball seemed to go in the net, which just seems to happen at Anfield. And then I'm like looking, I'm like, oh, wow, it's 3-1. to one. Liverpool haven't scored another goal. That's kind of odd, but whatever. And then I look and I see, I just see the end. I'm like, 4-3. And then I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, Spurs bottled it literally the last minute of the game. And not just that, then I see everything about Jurgen Klopp just losing his mind. Like after they score the winner, he's like running over to the to the fourth official, going crazy, pulls his hamstring in the process, and and then 
you know, there's some comments after the game, and I'm thinking, like, what is going on with Jurgen Klopp? Like, I know he's always been kind of a dickhead, but, like, it seems like this season has just pushed him to another level of just, like, being whiny and insufferable and and grouchy. I would not be surprised if Klopp is given a touchline ban for the rest of the season because he has gotten a warning already um, about, and I think he's gotten a red card already this season as well. And then he went into, um, he, he basically said that Paul Turney said something to him that was inappropriate or unprofessional or something. So he basically lied to the media and then the, the, PGMOL, I think they're called, basically came out and said, or the referee association or whatever, said um, that, no, we've listened to the tapes and there's nothing on there that Pep, that Klopp is suggesting. So what is he talking about? And from for, from a from a referee perspective, it's a big no-no in, when it comes to the FA. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll get a very lengthy ban. Um, he should at least get a couple, if not three. Um, and then I wouldn't surprise me if he gets the rest of the season. So it would not surprise me if he's given a touchline ban for the rest of the season, which is pretty big for Liverpool, I think. Um, but yeah, he's been doing that shit all season, like literally. Yeah, all season. he's like he's like verbally abusing the fourth official yeah. for something that I don't even know what happened. And then after the game, starts like talking to Ryan, like talking about Ryan Mason, and I'm just like, "There's you just won the game, man. You should be happy." And the first thing he's thinking about is just being insufferable. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it's, like, it's really he, weird. He, he ran to the fourth official and done his hamstring doing it um, after you win the game. It's just, it's just weird, weird behavior. Like I said, I would, it wouldn't surprise me if he's gone for the rest of the season in terms of touchline ban. Um, only based on his history of this season um, and for them sending a message because they do have issues with managers and players not respecting the referees. So they kind of need to send a message, I think. And, you know, you've seen it with uh, Mitrovic's long long ban by touching a referee. And then you had the, I think, Silva, who's the Fulham manager, was also banned for a few games um, based around that. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's gone for a fair bit um, of this season, for the rest of the season. Um, but, you know, <laughs> talking of Spurs... Um, Spurs is the club that probably pisses me off the most. And the reason why they piss me off the most is A, they're shit, and B, they only play well against us. And it pisses me off. <laughs> like, I get so irritated watching them capitulate to every other team in the league and play like absolute garbage, home or away, mostly all season, right? And then they come play against us and they look like fucking Real Madrid. It pisses me off to no end. That's my little rant about Spurs. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly, it was weird too seeing like Klopp's. Did you hear what he said after the game about Ryan Mason? No, I didn't. I didn't. So essentially, Ryan Mason was asked about Diogo Jota kicking Oliver Skip in the face. By the way, like how that wasn't a red card is beyond me. Like, puts his uh, foot way up in the air and puts his studs directly in the. Like, to me, that's a red card. And. So Ryan Mason essentially said, yeah, I think that's a red card. And then Klopp says, well, you should focus on your own team and, the, and their performance. Like, first off, 
to, to I don't be know fair, if Jurgen Klopp knows this or not, but Ryan Mason is no longer playing football because of a head injury. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he he played for Spurs, and he's very young. He's like maybe thirty now, and it's because he got a really bad head injury and can't play anymore. There you go. And to be to be to be fair though to Klopp, and to be fair to Liverpool, um, Skip shouldn't have been on the field. He done a very very poor challenge against Diaz. It was like an ankle breaker type challenge. Um, you know, studs up. Yeah, Skip's a dirty player. Yeah, yeah, he should have been sent off himself. So it mostly comes down to the referees, again, being shit, right? So, again, like we can talk about it almost every week how poor the officiating is in the Premier League. And it pisses me off to no end because it's like we've got the best league in the world. We've got some of the best teams in the world. We need the best referees in the world. And we've got probably the worst referees. Like, they're so fucking shit. Every week is the same rubbish that you see whether it be a missed penalty a missed red card a poor decision where it affects the outcome of a game or and affects teams ability to win games it's like you've got to be kidding me like even even three weeks ago you know brighton against spurs absolutely got robbed right so like this happens on a weekly weekly basis and it always comes down to the referees being trash right so Skip should have been sent off in the first 20 minutes and that, that was game over from then anyway because Spurs went down to 10 men. But then for, for Skip to basically um, get, you know, a foot to, uh, a foot to the bloody head um, from from Yota and that not being a red card, come on. It's just, it's, it's, you're endangering an opponent. It's like, it's right there in the rules. Like, you don't need anything clearer, but yeah. That, just, that was almost like Sadio Mane on Ederson. Like, yeah, it was that's all, what it looked almost. like. Almost, yeah. And I, I was, yeah. But also, like, to be fair, I'm not defending the refs by any mean, but I think sometimes we overstate, like, how bad refs are because I've seen it in every sport. And at some point, yeah, like, I refuse to believe that every ref in every sport is this terrible. But, like, I've seen it in college basketball. I've seen it in NBA. I've seen it in the NFL. I've seen it in college football. Where like you, everybody hates the refs. Like everybody, if you're if you're a fan of a sport, you're gonna hate the refs. So I think that kind of comes with it. But yeah, they're. I mean, doesn't mean you can't criticize their decisions when their decisions look like shit. The the problem, the problem, Sam, that I have with it is, so it's not that. Look, referees are humans. They're gonna make mistakes. Just like, just like you know, Ruben Diaz can make a mistake in defense and concede a goal. Edison can make a mistake. Right? It happens. We're humans. We do, we do mistakes on a day-to-day basis. The issue is when you have a review system in VAR and you're still getting the decision wrong, there's the problem, right? If if we didn't have VAR and the, and you miss a decision like that, you go, fair enough, it happens, it can happen. You know, oh, the ref should have seen it, but it can happen. The fact that the ref can and didn't see it and then you have a review system and the review system still says, no, that's not a red card, then you go, what is your purpose? And that's where that's where that's where my problem of them being incompetent comes from, right? I wouldn't call the referee incompetent because of mistakes on the field. I call them incompetent because I've got a review system and they're still making the mistake. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, but that that still happens in every sport. Like that still ha- like in the NFL, we've had instant replay since before I was born. I'm pretty sure at least my entire life we've had instant replay. Same with NBA. There's replays. 
baseball, there's replays. They still find a way to fuck it up. So not as bad, for me, though. it's like not as bad. Oh yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> like, yes. Like, there, I, I, there have I, been I, some I, egregious. Like one of them literally just was the last play of a Super Bowl. Like okay, to be, to literally be fair, like though. like the ninetieth minute of a Champions League final was a ref decision. Like, trust me, there have been just as bad. Like it, it comes it, it, in every it, sport. It happens. I agree. Right, and like I watch, I watch rugby league, um, which we also have a video referee, which they do for every single goal try, right? Try, I should say. There is probably a lot of UK listeners, so they understand the word try. But to (laughs) the problem is, is it is every game of every week almost in Premier League. I understand when 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 it's one out of every ten games or one out of every fifteen games that happens. It can happen. We still make errors, right? But it's almost every game. That that's what's like. You look at one game, right, and you will see three or four things that VAR do not intervene properly with, and you go, "How? How are you making the wrong decision three or four times in a single game?" That's where it becomes baffling to me. The fact that every week we can talk about three out of ten games or five out of ten games, and you can point out two or three massive decisions from VAR is is ridiculous. That should not be happening. I'd understand if it was a, like a, a one game, one mo- moment and you go, all right, VR stuffed up there. Fair enough. But it's almost every game. It's almost every game. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I'm like I said, I'm not going to defend the refs, but it happens in every sport. I don't think yeah. soccer is particularly like it's a worse problem in soccer or football than it is in the other sports because the same things happen in the other sports. I get equally as angry seeing refs <laughs> call games for the Pittsburgh Steelers than I do for Manchester City on some stupid call. Or the worst is when there's like some really obscure rule that you don't know and they call it and you have no idea that that was a rule until after the game. <laughs> love, love when that happens. So, yeah, I think overall, like, the refereeing does need to improve, but I I do think that this is more of just how it's going to be at some point. Like, yeah, they should always seek to improve, but we see it in every sport. So, yeah, I'm not as pissed off about it, I guess. Um, so, yeah, yeah there's that. Um, just, right. just, before, just before we wrap up, um, top four, is it locked in? Newcastle United? Yeah, yeah, I think it's locked in. Do you think Liverpool have an outside chance? No, Liverpool don't have it. Let me tell you something. If any team has an outside chance, it's Brighton, not Liverpool. Um, Mm -hmm. Brighton do have a lot of tough games. I I don't think anybody has a chance of getting in that top four. But if I were to bet on one team from outside the top four getting in, it's either it's probably Brighton. Like that's no. that's if if you were to say right now, you have to put your money on a team outside the top four getting in. It's Brighton. At least for I me, di- like I disagree. I'd, I'd go with um, if I, if I had to put a put a bet on it, I'd put Liverpool. And the reason why is Brighton has a lot of tough games. They play United. They play Arsenal. They play Newcastle away. They play City. They play Villa. They've got a very tough stretch of games. So, 
they could look they could beat United and that could force United out. Um, if I'd say United, but United do have a game at hand on Newcastle. So it's, yeah, look, I, I think it is locked in. But also, yeah. also like you said, if there's a chance that Liverpool don't have Jurgen Klopp on the sidelines for those last five games, that can yeah. hurt them. That's another thing. That's true. That's true. But and also Brighton is only a couple points behind Liverpool and they have two or three games in hand. So like Yeah, I think they've got two games in hand on Liverpool. Yeah, so there there's room for Brighton. And I just think honestly, when I look at both teams, I think Brighton's a better team this year. So there's that as well. Um but yeah, I I'm bullish on this Brighton team, as you can tell. But I know, I know you are. <laughs> every every week I'm talking about Brighton or Deserby. I like them. I like I like the way they play. I like what they do. But I I mean the, so, the top four is yeah. locked up. Yeah. So Liverpool can only get um, seventy one points. So there you go. So if if United get uh, eight points out of their last six games, they'll make it. And Newcastle only needs six points. Out of their last um, five games, so there you go. Yeah, I I doubt that. Yeah, I, I look like, I, Newcastle. I think, yeah, it's, it's locked in. Yeah, and United like United's playing well enough to where, yeah, they'll they'll get those points. I I don't really. It's it's pretty well locked up for top four now. Third place might be contentious. I think it'll probably go to Newcastle. Honestly. I think I think Newcastle if they beat Arsenal I think they'll get top three. So if they if they they got they got to win against New, um, Arsenal sorry, because um, I think United has does have an earlier easier running. Um, but yeah, so for me, if Newcastle do beat them, then yeah, they should get it. They should get top three, which is crazy. Absolute credit to, to Eddie Howe. Um, yeah, considering yeah, that they were like in the relegation zone a year and a half ago. Yeah, that's crazy. They've invested really, really well with um, very smart buyers. Um, you know, there's no, there's no way they would be able to do it without the new ownership. But it's not like they're overspending money or anything like that. Um, so you yeah, I mean, cre- even you, you, you got to give credit to Eddie Howe. Any, even their spending, like it hasn't been insane. Like yeah. it hasn't been what people thought they were going to do, which was obviously impossible with FFP, anyways. But they haven't, like, they haven't gone crazy. And uh, Eddie Howe, like you said, has done a really, really good job. And a lot of these players were here beforehand. Like, it's not like it's a completely new 11. Like, you still have, like, Fabian Cher and um, what's his name? Like, Joe Linton and Joe Willick. Those guys were all there. Those guys were all there at the time. And, uh, like, Jacob Murphy. Is that his name? Yeah. Murphy's been scoring goals and... Like these guys were not there before, so yeah. Like think, credit think, to Eddie Howe for like getting this team. They they are playing very very well. Yeah, I think Callum Wilson broke the the record for most goals in a month for Newcastle. He scored eight goals, which is crazy. Yeah, he, he beat he beat Shearer's record for most goals for their team, <laughs> which is absolutely nuts. Um, so look. He probably he'll probably win Player of the Month, even though probably Kevin De Bruyne deserves it this month. But I wouldn't surprise me if they give it to to Callum Wilson. Um, and yeah, look, they're flying high. It'll be it, it, I'm I'm really curious to watch that game. I'm looking forward to seeing the game against Arsenal. It'll be a, I think it'll be a very interesting game because how they're going to set up. They set up very defensively 
at the Emirates for that nil all. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, especially the way they're playing right now with that. You know, they're playing quite high attacking football, which is crazy. Um, and we had issues with them at St. James Park, but the way they played against us in that three all draw um, early, early on the season, where everyone's like, oh my God, we drew to Newcastle. And then you look at that result and you go, that was a pretty good result. <laughs> Looking yeah, back. Yeah, oh yeah. Looking they, back, he's yeah. like, you'll take that. You'll take that draw. Yeah. Overall, I, I I like what they're what they're building there. They've they've spent wisely. Like Bruno Gimaraes, I think is a very very good midfielder. And they're, they're gonna they, be challenging. They've done well. They're gonna be challenging for top four a lot. And now that they've got Champions League, the money and the sponsorship money that they can bring in is gonna expand. Quite rapidly, um, they're going to be a threat for the foreseeable future. Um, it's it's all they have. A, they have a chance to kick Spurs out of the quote unquote top six. I think. The, I think they will. I think they will. Like they ha- they have that chance. Like Spurs yeah. cannot afford another another season like this. They Look, like think- they need to get it together. They need to hopefully like Spurs need to pray that they get Julian Nagelsmann. They need Spurs, to pray. Spurs are in big trouble next season. They'll they'll lose Harry Kane, and once Harry Kane's gone, people will see how bad this team. He's been carrying them this season, so you'll see how poor they are when Harry Kane's not there anymore. They're gonna be oh, out. like I don't think people realize how good Harry Kane's been this year. It's been overshadowed because Holland's like on another planet. But he's got twenty five Premier League goals. <laughs> he's crazy. got twenty like that. He already beat the goals. Total from last, like he, the golden boot total from last year, and he's nine goals behind Erling Holland. Like, yeah, look, I, he'd win the that, golden like, boot every season except Salah's season from the last five yeah, years. Yeah, like Harry Kane is. At, I honestly think if he did not play for Tottenham Hotspur and played for a bigger team where he could win a little more, he would probably be known as like maybe the best striker in the world or close to it. Like. He's not given that due, but I think he's every bit as good as Benzema or Lewandowski or Holland or any of those guys. He's every bit as good. I agree. I agree. All right, let's wrap right. it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Follow us again. We'll have uh, something out in the next couple days after West Ham, so look out for that, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening.